Hey, I'm Brady Becker. And I'm Martin Walker. And this is True Enough, a podcast about True Detective Season 2. So, I'm drinking a Grand Belt beer right now, and somebody across from me is taking offense to it for whatever reason. Explain yourself, Walker. What's so, what's so wrong about a guy drinking a beer? Huh? So yeah, what? nothing's... Alright, God damn it! I wish that we could get a real like feedback on what's going on here. Brady found a beer unopened, a sealed bottled beer on the street. You sealed, yeah, it. yeah. Let the record show. This is important detail for all you true detectives out there. The beer was sealed. Yeah, I guess. But all right, so we live in a college neighborhood where everything's dirty. Basically, it's a very dirty place. And if I were to find a beer on the street, there's not mm, a refreshing. Place. I'm drinking it. Oh god, that is disgusting. So beer. refreshing. It's it's messed up, friends. This is a bad thing that's happening right now. Hey, I, what you drinking a beer over there? <laughs> I don't have a beer. I'd rather be no, drinking yeah, a beer okay. than not drinking a beer. Well, okay. Brady bought this like stupid fucking blueberry beer. Yeah, I know. That's Blue, not true. Blueberry beer. That's not Who true. Who does that? I didn't. I didn't. Jesus. Well, I'm up right now. You suck right now. So yeah. Okay. Cheers. Yeah. I hope you don't die of arsenic poisoning in your beer. Feeling pretty good right now, friend. I don't even have yeah, a shirt on. I'm gonna knock this podcast out of the park. I'm sorry. We started off in a little bit of a hostile tone. Yeah, we did. Okay, fine. Come on. You, you know that's a, that's yeah, just all the side. That's hey, cool. I love you. I love you too, bro. Let's get into it, huh? How about this episode, eh? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. It was great. Episode six brought it. It was it great. Really this was quite the episode. I really enjoyed it. Um, by far my favorite episode of the season so far. You? Yeah, definitely. Um, I really did enjoy the first one, but this one I was I was really engaged throughout. Um, we finally get some nice cohesiveness in the storytelling. Things are set. Some, some singularities finally going on here. Um, as we kind of mentioned last week's podcast, things are starting to overlap more among the mangled storylines. Still pretty mangled, but a bit of clarity is coming to form. You know, definitely there is now some central direction. I yeah. agree with that totally. Yep. It's you know, it's nice to see. Is I thought I thought one of the main problems of the season was there just wasn't a ton of great character relationships going on. Like in season mm-hmm. one, you had the great dynamic between Rust and Marty, <laughs> and um, in this season, the relationships just weren't as prevalent. You had just a lot of isolated scenes of yeah. them dealing with their problems, um, and now you really you have El Coro yeah, and Bezridis and Woodrow all working as a team, and you have um, now you just kind of see where Semyon's storyline started to come into play. Speaking of Semyon, I thought you know his storyline was finally worthwhile to me this this, yeah. this episode. I was actually yeah, engaged and intrigued with what was going on with his character. Absolutely. Unlike past episodes where it just kind of felt like a waste of time what was going on. And some people, I, I'm hearing some chatter, some people still thought his storyline was kind of a waste of time yeah. this week. But I, I actually, I, I enjoyed what was going on with him. I was actually following and I was like, wow, this is, this is actually interesting. Some, finally some material for uh, Vince Vaughn to work with. I think he delivered some really solid dialogue as well. Yeah, in, in general, a very strong episode for him. We'll get more into that. And the orgy scene was incredible. Incredibly yeah. well shot, creepy, gripping, everything. The music! So ah, the music! Creepy. The music was great. I love the music in the yeah. last scene. We'll, we'll touch more on that later. But that, yeah. everything, we really enjoyed the last scene. It was great. Um, but yeah, well, this episode was phenomenal, I thought. I, I really enjoyed it. And um, there's this hope for the last two now. Mm-hmm. Right. Hey, we'll top it in characters now. It's not wasting any time. Hey, man, what do you got on Ray? The things they say, whatever they, whatever they say, whatever stories you hear, I am your father. You are my son. I will always love you. 
Rayvel Coro, hey, we got our boy back finally after a couple weeks of sobriety. Like, what was that all about? Who knew that? Well, Coro finally comes back to his true form. Um, I thought he went a little soft in the Coke. I mean, did he do only like five lines? Yeah, I really wish that Coke scene was more realistic. Yeah, that probably would, wouldn't even have gotten high. Yeah, that, that would have been great. That's kind of that was kind of soft in general. <laughs> Um, but we finally get some resolution. Let's start out with his son. It was um, actually some interesting juxtaposition what was going on there with Ray yeah. and Frank, um, both kind of interacting with children. We saw Frank able to like effectively connect with Stan's kid. However, Ray, on the other hand, juxtaposed, was kind of uh, coming to the realization that he can't actually connect with his own son um, other than watching reruns of Friends. Um, <laughs> you know, I think Ray could have been a little more creative with his time. Dude, Chad, I thought he connected pretty well with Chad. Did you think so, man? Yeah, when he told him about the old girlfriend that he had. <laughs> That was a really, really good conversation. <laughs> I think Ray was just enjoying, like, uh, some some uh, chatter, uh, uh, what's the, the observer's oh, way. Hey, you like what you do over there? I was physically uncomfortable during that entire <laughs> scene. That was rough. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that was, I think maybe Ray should just shove Chad the old glove compartment. That could have made for more of an yeah, afternoon. Yeah, seriously. I don't know. Fuck it. <laughs> Get a couple Coronas. <laughs> You're going to roll the white paper. Just something to hold us. Just something to hold them. <laughs> <laughs> so money, baby. So money you don't even wow. know, Walker. The amount of references. Sorry, continue. <laughs> um, but my other point was that what's most interesting now is that Ray no longer has any incentive for working this case um, that he's been put on since he, he decided no, he cut the deal with his wife, or ex-wife, I should say. He's no longer going to contest custody and chill, no longer um, get a paternity test. But um, it shows, you know, he has a need for justice. Yeah. Or he just feels like he owes Bezzarides and Woodrow yeah. to finish up the operation. I don't know. But I think I think what we're starting to see is that all four of these main characters actually have some sort of strong desire for justice to be served. All right. All right. That's, a fair, that's a fair point. I actually kind of have... I'm at a similar place with Ray. I Bring think, it. Too. <coughs> excuse me. So I think it was an interesting twist, uh, Ray giving up his son, which is obviously the right decision for his son. But I think <laughs> Pizzolatto is, in a way, setting him up for failure because... In the past episodes, he's been doing everything uh, yeah. good in the name of his son, son, and now he has nothing to hold him back mm-hmm. at all. So I'm not convinced that Ray really... I think he does have a conscience, because you see him struggling with uh, the work that he's doing for Samyang, but mm-hmm. I don't think that he's necessarily that invested in the justice of the case. So sure. I think what's going to happen is... What do you think What do you think's holding him to the case, then? Well, that's what I'm saying. I don't think... I think in the next two episodes, we might see him uh, go completely off the rails, and you already see... Him kind of going out the rails. So he has that scene with the uh, his wife's rapist, um, <laughs> and that was holy shit. He Pretty is intense. insane. Pretty intense. Good God, that, <laughs> that man. Dude, oh my God. All right. Anyway, yeah, he has that, and then also outside of the house when he just smashes the dude's face with like a pistol fifteen times, completely on this. Yeah, family. I'm, I'm getting my wish. Falcoers beat the shit out of oh one person God. a week, and it's making for great television. Yeah, so. I think he might have killed that guy. Nah. At least seriously maimed him. <laughs> but uh, also... Two, two bruises, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, okay. Or just a couple love taps. Either way. <laughs> I think that uh, his wife's rapist is not actually his wife's rapist, though. I think he's still got the wrong guy. Because it's just it's way too convenient, the guy has memory issues. And he legitimately yeah. did seem confused about who Belcora was. He didn't seem to have any yeah, kind of memory didn't, whatsoever. You're, you're right, you're right. Um, and another thing is it just... Based off solely looks again, yeah. Chad the ginger child, and again, genetics, it just doesn't seem to work that this guy would be 
Right. Do you think? Do you think we'll actually figure out who the real rapist is? Do we really care at all? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Well, I think uh, I read somewhere that it might be somebody in Semyon's ranks. Uh, the little so play kind of has the reddish hair, but that just I don't, that would seem to make yeah, a ton of sense. I though. don't know. We'll see. But she I don't been think having other affairs. So. Right. Well, Maybe. yeah, we'll see where it goes. Maybe that's the other, that's the other thing. I read somewhere like what what would really be her interest in finding out? Why would she really push the paternity test? You know, right. for her, why would she want to know? Uh, I think it's just a closure thing, and that's what we're supposed to think. But yeah, maybe Could she's, on maybe she's generally generally curious, like who actually is the father. <laughs> yeah, but no. But, uh, coming going off your last point, I think you know we finally have full resolution to most of Elcor's storyline. Right. So I feel like now more than ever he could be a goner. I think I really think Velcor is going down here in these next few episodes. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, his storyline out of the four main characters is by far the most uh, resolved. And if we truly get the world we deserve, you know, the yeah. of the season, Velcor is probably most deserving of death penalty out of the four, right? Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Yeah, I would be. And, you know, he's been set up as one of the most likable characters too. So seeing him go down would make for a very effective plot. Well, some people really like him. More than others. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can call us fanboys, yeah. sure. <laughs> sure. Alright, right, who we got next? Uh, Frank Semyon. It will come to me. I pass it on. Because why not get blackmail on a sheriff's deputy? That didn't hurt. But I have a sense of justice. You know that. That's why this was so surprising. Frank Semyon. Yeah, um, why don't you go ahead? Are we set this one off? Yeah, why not? Alright, great. Um, love Frank this episode. It was a little unfortunate that Kelly Riley had such a breakout performance, overshadowed him, <laughs> really put in work. Yeah, wow, she was... <laughs> Do you think she has, like, a back problem? Why is her head always tilted to the side? I don't you know, know it's man, so I'm bad. I am swear, I swear to this, that she's had Botox, though. You might be on something, Expressionless, she's absolutely expressionless. Oh, she killed me. This episode, uh, she's just the, the chemistry is just non-existent. We've said it before, but yeah, keep going. Uh, so I think Frank's really coming into his own, which I enjoy him very much when he is in this state. Um, he's kind of a fair weather criminal, actually. You see him kind of gets his confidence and swagger back as he starts yeah. to do better. He's getting back into the land deal, and mm-hmm. to his credit, he did get himself out of the hole in a sense. So even though he bitched about it the whole time, you know, he yeah, it seems to he seems to be much more comfortable now. Right, you know, he seems to be kind of out of the hole. You're right, he's not in such a dire financial state. But I think this is credence to the idea that Pizzolatto took away too much of his confidence and smoothness as a criminal because he's so much more enjoyable in this likeness than he was previously in the middle of the season. He was True. unbearable. Mm-hmm. But uh, also very interesting from Frank, or at least very good character development was you see him becoming a father figure who's talking to Stan's son. Thank God we got closure on Stan, by the way. Yeah, this, oh, uh, that's been eating that's been eating away at me for weeks. I know. I haven't been able to sleep. It wasn't fair to us as viewers to string right. us along without any sort of resolution of the Stan story. It was unbelievable. Two, two, maybe three episodes, no mention of Stan. Yeah. All right, we'll get over it. But yeah, I, I think I think our audience is just as. Rattled, right? We're not pleased. Yeah. <laughs> thank, thank you, Nick, for finally... <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I think that Frank being a father is interesting in the sense that it's an odd contradiction to the work that he does. Obviously, he's extremely exploitative. He t- takes advantage of people for a living, so mm-hmm. which is terrible, but also he seems to be... Or have the capacity to be a really loving dad, so that's just an interesting thing that people yeah, are doing. Yeah, a few observations on Frank that I had. Um, you know, just the fact that you, the conversation with Stan's son. I thought, I, you know, I did like the the message of the that he gave to Stan's son for the most part until he said, you know, 
inside is pure gold. <laughs> that got a little cheesy and you know melodramatic for me. But like other than that, I, I did I did like the message. You know how pain can really define what sort of person you are, and I thought the the substance of that was pretty decent stuff, and it showed that you know Frank's can be a capable father. Yeah, and you know you saw. You saw when um, Frank was kind of talking to Stan's wife when she mentioned that, you know, Stan had left his child and the look kind of went over. It was good acting by Vince Vaughn's part. He kind of, this, this look surfed his face where it was like, oh man, like if I have a, cho- if I have a child, this could be me someday. I'm in the same line of dangerous work. And I thought that was all effective. Um, but yeah, I, I also really enjoyed the scene with uh, Ray and Colin to start the scene or to start the, the episode out. I thought that was also a really strong set piece. I mean, it says a lot about the relationship, too, the fact that Ray just went in there and looking, didn't do his usual thing, which is, like, kind of ripping the dude's skin off with a cheese grater, you know, <laughs> actually approached and had a decent conversation with Vin, or with uh, Frank Semyon to kind of, you know, work, actually work things out and come to resolution. Yeah. Um, so that says a lot about the, those two characters, uh, you know, relationship between each other and kind of where their loyalties lie. And, um, that was you a know. huge scene for Frank, too. Yeah, no, he was, he was killing it. Yeah. And then Frank mentioned uh, to um, Velcor that he might be the only friend he's got left. Right? <laughs> 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 Wouldn't that be that fucked was, up or something? Right? Yeah, that's a great sequence. That was nice. Um, but yeah, you know, I, like I said before, I really dug the storyline with um, Semyon this week and how he was kind of tracking down that girl that was connected to Leto. Um, the whole Mexican standoff of Mexicans, I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> Um, but it also just shows that Frank really isn't cut out for this gangster shit as much as he used to be, you know? Yeah. It's kind of starting to be softer, you know? You saw, you saw his reaction to that girl being slain, and he got totally played by them, too, you know? He gave those Mexicans way too great of a deal right off the bat by offering three days in the club a week. That's an excellent point. Without any sort of cut. He's kind of going soft as a gangster, just trying to, you know, he's being so desperate to be legitimate, because he's no longer, you know, you see, you're seeing him, a real maturation process with this character. Um... But yeah, I thought his overall storyline was much more compelling, much more intriguing than it has been in any other episode. So well, yeah. Cool. Good stuff. Should we get into Annie? Let's get into Honey uh, Buzzerese, yeah. Let's do it. Um, what, is, what is that? Like, pure Molly. It's pretty great. Keep you in good mood. Mm-hmm. Open. I thought she had a great episode. I really wish that Pusillato would have given her a win. She was obviously fighting with that dude at Rick Springfield's house party, so... Yeah, could they at least have a little sex before? Honestly, man, you don't want to see unrequited love, especially from a character like Annie. <laughs> Annie, Annie, God damn it. You know, I, you know, I have some resolution to this, actually. I was watching this interview today with Rachel okay. McAdams okay. talking about her character, and she herself called the character Ani. Alright, well, our producers are probably done now. We'll make that call after we get done with this. See ya. Yeah. Jesus. Okay, anyway. Ani. Ani. Um, thank God we had some legitimate development. So, we now have a very clear understanding of her stranded relationship with sex and why she was so freaked out. Yeah, to, going. to be honest, I don't know how we kind of did see this coming. Yeah. Is that bad? Yeah, I don't know. It should have been. I think it was, it was a little more obvious. Than, okay. <laughs> you know, if you think back on it and why she has these sexual exploits, and yeah, it, should, it kind of should have slapped us in the face. It didn't. Oh, God. That was so creepy when she's hallucinating about the guy who molested her. Yeah. Yeah, that was. It yeah, was. That, whole scene, that whole scene was masterful, I thought. It was yeah. No, it truly was. It, was. it was great. Gripping is the correct word. Mm-hmm. On that one. Uh, also, we got validation for what she says in episode two about the fundamental differences of sexes and her yeah. being able to kill somebody so, yeah. in under a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought that was the most interesting point that was made with uh, Ani's character. 
was you see the different relationship that men and women have with violence in the show. So for men, it's a tool of intimidation for the most part. Uh, Valcoro and Semyon use it all the time, but for women, it's a kind tool. of outlet too. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Emotion, yeah. Emotional outlet. For women, it's a tool of necessity. So Ani is extremely distressed mm-hmm. after she's killed the guy, or she thinks she's killed the guy, and I just mm-hmm. think it's an interesting contrast for how. Um, men and women both regard violence and it's good for the audience to see it because as a as a man it's not always easy to understand like why a woman might feel unsafe in certain situations so i thought it was a really poignant mm-hmm. bit for pizzolato put into the script yeah i think she must have had a commando pro on there huh for all you uh, call of duty modern warfare 2 fans out there uh, Commando Pro is <laughs> a perk that um, allows you to better or enhances your melee attacks. So I think Bezrigi's definitely had that enabled for that uh, that yeah. sequence. Clearly, <laughs> really attacks were on point. So. Yeah, that was quick. And like, also with the Commando Pro, it's uh, one knife and you're dead. So yeah, helps you in that sense yeah, as well. I think she had a kill streak or two there. We'll see if she continues it maybe next episode. Maybe get a UV. Yeah, I mean, we're really holding out for the care package, though. <laughs> Perhaps she has Hardline on. Yeah, she has Hardline yeah, on? Yeah. She's already got the UV. Okay, <laughs> this was a worthwhile tangent. <laughs> Do you have anything else with Ani? That you I really don't have too much value to add to Ani this week. Um, no, a great episode, but I thought Rachel Maddox was extremely strong in her performance, and I thought, you know, it was all great. And like I said, I love the whole sequence, how she was kind of blurring it out. We'll talk more about that final sequence later. Um, let's get into Woody a little bit, our boy, Paul, Paul Woodrow. Um, not a huge episode for Paul, necessarily. Not a lot of material thrown his way. Uh, did a few cool knife tricks. That was yeah. pretty sick. That was kind of it. Um, did some sick recon with Valcoro. Picked a lock. Um, surprisingly, found some contracts with, get this, signatures all over them. Took us by surprise for sure. Um, by the way, Paul, Bezerides just told me you should kill the man. It was extremely traumatic. But never mind yeah. that. You've got contracts. <laughs> Don't say a word. <laughs> Oh, you killed someone? Hold on a second. These contracts have signatures on them. <laughs> that's very important. Yeah, but I guess if you think about it a little bit, I mean, that's kind of what, the world that Paul Woodrow lives in. You know, yeah. Killing is just like a, a reflex almost to him. So. I have a strong suspicion that Paul's character is the one who picked the orchestral music for the run-up to the house. He <laughs> seems like the type of guy who would be into... The opera, Most the finer definitely. arts. Most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, I totally agree Ready to just touch my foot under the table. Hey, what's up? <laughs> what's up? <laughs> anyway. Yeah, let's, um, let's talk a little bit more about that orgy scene for a second, though. Okay. Anything else you want to add to that? I've got a few notes here that I'd like to address. Um, I don't think the the portrayal of Molly was totally accurate. Yeah, there's been a few yeah. There's been a few um, people that have brought that up. Um, a few of my friends, actually, have said that, you know, Molly really wouldn't have that effect on me. It'd be more of, you know, Molly's known to be purely a positive experience, positive vibes. But, you know, an easy solution to that would be maybe they didn't give them Molly. Maybe that was just hearsay. Like it could yeah, that's have, Might not have been Molly. It would, have, it would make sense to give them Molly, but it could have been really anything. And maybe even if Molly puts you in such a positive state... Um, that's a pretty freaky situation. It's pretty freaky for her, and it's pretty traumatic, too, seeing all that, you know, 
what's going on around her. More Who knows? Her. But it, I think I, you should have more beef with the fact that she like could puke. She tried to, you know, she purged herself and was able to puke up what was in her stomach, and that really wouldn't do anything to rid the molly of her system as it's already in her bloodstream. But yeah, that was total bullshit. Yeah, but it, you know, it's it's TV at the same time, so right. I'm not going to nitpick it like that. Um, what do we really know? I'm more of a heroin man myself. Yeah, so. come on. <laughs> That's my thing. <laughs> no, <laughs> Casual. Um, but yeah, I thought the scene overall, the orgy scene and the mansion here was by far the most engaging material we've had all season. Loved it from start to finish. I, I saw, I was absolutely in tune with the whole scene. Um, as you mentioned, the music was phenomenal. It was cinematic, kind of cheesy and over the top, but I totally vibed it actually. I thought it, yeah, you know, it was good. Yeah, I love that True Detective like, does these out-of-the-box things. Um, yeah. You know, They take risks, and Pete Zalotto and his ensemble directors have shown that they're not afraid to take these risks. For example, you know, you have the purgatory scene earlier in the season. You have the freeze frame after episode four, which is kind of like an 80s sort of like, and now the score to this scene. And I thought all of them were highly enjoyable. It's just kind of like moves that you don't see typical TV shows making, and I think they really pay off in this case. That's actually true. That's been a really nice feature this season, but the writing has just not been up to par. Yeah. That's really what's been bringing this there's, there's been some strong instances, but there's also been a fair share of you right. know, fairly weak instances as well. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, and like we, we, should, we brought up a few of the conveniences along the scene, you know, Accord, Woodrow, overhearing conversation between the Russian and the Candlest. And kind of busting through the window with ease, or Paul being at the door to retrieve Fezzeri's at the exact right <laughs> yeah. time was all this kind of coincidental. <laughs> or, you know, there's a few of those, but overall, a great sequence, especially with El Coro having the charger charged up and taken off into the full moon, Tokyo yeah. Drift style. Brady fucking lumped at that shit. It was oh. alright. That move was ridiculous, though. Yeah, the move was. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. Oh! <laughs> really... If only they could have been a hole. Yeah, for real. <laughs> it like. Wouldn't even been out of place with the rest of the scene. <laughs> I would have not even said it. I would have accepted it for face value. That just would have been. It is what it is. Um, let's move into some fun segments here before we kind of wrap things up. K time. <laughs> I'll get this going here. Um, you know what? I'd just like to give Chad Valcoro a bit of the spotlight. Wow, here. I was going to say the same. Did you do it? Okay, that's fantastic. Okay, I have a few backups too. That's fine. Oh, no, no, like, I'm totally cool with that, man. You should keep going. Okay, I'll just I'll run with it. He, he kind of, you know, he stole, kind of stole our K segment right with it yeah, this week. Yeah, he um, really did. When told most affectionately by his father, Ray, that he would always be his dad, and that you will always be loved, Chad responds to the firm, okay? <laughs> he continues to eat pizza. Okay. So I, I can't help but say, well done, Chad. We appreciate you tuning into the podcast <laughs> on a weekly basis. Right? Yeah, I mean... The kid has a lot of heart and obviously has a lot of dedication to our craft and <laughs> gave us some reciprocation. We'd love to see that. As an artist, when people draw inspiration on you, <laughs> it does not get better. It's really the most rewarding part of this podcast yep. so far. Thank you, Chad. Um, hopefully we can touch with your people and beyond next week. I feel as though people would be a lot more appreciative of us calling ourselves artists so they could see us right now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have a shirt on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not mine. Um, my other gay moment, I, Stan's kid. I mean, the stereotypical portrayal of children in the show, does he really have to be just outside, like, playing catch by himself yeah. in, like, the most melancholy way <laughs> of all time? Against a wall, for yeah. Christ's sake. Who does that? Who plays catch against a wall? Wearing, like, the most bland, maroon baseball cap of all time. Well, didn't you get it? He doesn't have a dad anymore. Yeah. Oh. 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 Okay. And then that hug that him and, you know, Vince Vaughn shared? Okay. 
segment's going to go out to uh, Vince Vaughn here, Frank Semyon, with his dialogue with Stan's kid, as I kind of already mentioned, but it, it needs to be stated here, so here it is for the record. And inside you is pure gold, and I know that. Your father knew that too. Pure, solid gold. That's what you got. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> like that, oh, it was such a, we were watching it together. Martin and I, and we both, like, I, like I said before, like, I, I enjoyed, like, the substance of the scene before that, and kind of, like, I, I enjoyed the message, and then all of a sudden, you know what's inside you, kid? Pure gold. Just cringeworthy. Pure gold. It's bad. Man. Anything. Anything was pure. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, we had, we had some serious complaints with some of the writing. Just, I think, I don't know. Brady, so, Brady and I were driving earlier, and he brought up that Nick Pizzolatto is probably super pretentious to be able to write that and just be like, yo. That's what I'm going with. That's it. I got it. Yeah. Nailed it with Peter Gold. Boom. All right. I just think, I, you know, I think for the most part, he's always a great visionary. He right? has some great stuff, but I think you just need somebody kind of checking him. Yeah. You know? Really, though. I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, you probably get the freedom that he does after you write such a killer first season. Yeah, like where it got him. <laughs> he was Peter Gold the first yeah. season. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we wrap things up, let's do, oh, let's do quick questions here. Um... I got one for you to start us off. Um, do you believe Frank in his um, 
his um, absolute certainty that he did not know that he set Belcour up with the wrong guy. Yeah, I think Frank, for all of his faults, does have some integrity. He's kind um, of an old-school criminal in that sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, I said this in that first episode. I think he's a little bit similar to Vito Corleone every now and again. Mm-hmm. Vito Corleone, sorry, that was bad. But anyway, it's the same thing. He does a lot of bad stuff, but at the end of the day, like Brady said earlier, he doesn't really, he ain't had the nerve for this kind of thing for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know exactly. I mean? No, I do, and I think, I think with Vince Vaughn's portrayal and how he delivered it, I really do believe him, and I think, I really don't think Semyon set Velcor up with the wrong guy, at least knowingly. No, I disagree. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Sorry. Okay, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> All right. My question for you is, uh, do you think Frank will be a good father? <laughs> you know what? I, 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 I do believe it. You know, I think he wants to be a good father so badly, you know, based on his own childhood, that I think he will be a good father. But in order to do so, I think he's got to get out of the business that he's currently in. You know, he actually has to go legitimate. Right. But no, I think, I think, he, do have, I think he has it in him. And based off that scene, what we saw there... I think he's more than capable of being a good father. Definitely. Probably a moot point, because even if he's a terrible father, their kid has Kelly Riley, so... Yeah, so that's... She's great. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we get into some final thoughts here, let's do a little speculation on the killer. Yeah. Um, you know, Frank's storyline kind of leads us to believe that um, Lieutenant Burris could be the Birdman. Um, you know, he has a conversation with a woman that is connected with the pawn shopping and Leto, the, the pimper, and she mentions that some, you know, tall cop, white cop had, you know, been in contact with her, and that would most definitely probably be Lieutenant Burris, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know, um, Lieutenant Burris is kind of the one, he's the one that asked Bezzeridis before they went on the big shootout if all this manpower was warranted, and he was also the one that came to Velcora's apartment to evict him or his house. Yeah. So just to get a visual there. Um, and he would also have access to the buckshot, that only cops would have access to that knocked out Valcor in episode two. But um, to be honest, it just seems like too clear-cut of a suspect to me. It seems like, you know, Pizzolatto is kind of setting us up to believe that he could be the killer. Well, it just seems seems too easy. I actually think that Pizzolatto is hiding a killer in plain sight and that the Birdman is Birdman, which is really bad news because I don't think the Young Money label can really take the heat. No, Drake not. is the only one. Yeah. Well, Drake and Nikki are both popping it up. <laughs> The underlying support? Not great. And Birdman? He can't go down in that kind of fire. <laughs> the amount of scrutiny of the Young Money label is already under, with Drake taking beef from Meek Mill right now, yeah. and Nicki Minaj being on Meek Mill's side, and Birdman taking money off the top, for him to be the killer in right. Drake season two, this wouldn't be great. This could spell disaster. No, this is... Drake may have to find a new home. Oh, this is going to be the end of a regime. I... No, for real though. Um, <laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't totally know who the killer is. I. I could be that guy who everyone thinks it's uh, the guy on the set. Like yeah. So another thing I was reading today, kind of digging through the, the, the subreddit of True Detective, is that I think the the two children could possibly be the set photographer. The two children being the orphans that were kind of left behind in the Blue Diamond heist. Yeah. Um, could be the set photographer along with. Um, the bartender at Ray's favorite drinking hall. Oh, shit. They could I both possibly... Know. And other people are saying that those two could be the Chizani children. Yeah. So there's a couple loose ends there. I like the set, the set producer and the bartender more. I think that's kind of cool. I think that's more, yeah, I think that's more likely just because they've been kind of more subtle and it would just, 
Yeah. Dude, what if the bartender is the killer? Oh, man. It would make some sense because she's always kind of known. I mean, she's probably overheard plenty of Franks and Bray's, you know, conversations. And that, uh, and that could be the reason why Bray didn't get fully executed in episode Ray, two. that's what I'm Because she's kind of got the feels for him, you know? And she covers her tracks by asking if he's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know he's okay. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> you know he's okay. <laughs> you wouldn't shoot that pretty of a face. Damn Stop right. Stop it. I wish that... Well, we're too lazy to make a poll, but if I was not lazy, <laughs> I would absolutely ask everybody if they think Ray looks better with a mustache or without a mustache. The answer is absolutely yes. Looks better with a mustache. Am I correct? Uh, well, <laughs> there lies the problem. <laughs> so you don't need a poll because I know the answer. Okay. The okay, thank you. Uh, <laughs> final thoughts here before we wrap things up. A few things written down. Um, Chad Falcor really just living the American dream out there. I mean, pizza, coke, friends reruns. Not bad, oh, right? Yeah. Not a bad life. He's fit, too. Yeah. Actually, he's really living the American dream. <laughs> obesity. <laughs> a lot of obesity. Um, I'd, love to, I'd love to party with Ray Valcora sometime, if, that can, if that's Would possible. You? Yeah, no. dude. We'll start what? drinking and start punch dancing and stuff. What I don't know. long-term benefit do you see in that? He could come to our apartment and break everything in it? Dad? <laughs> Dad? <laughs> oh, shit. I just made fun of a 12-year-old for being fat. That's not a good thing. <laughs> that's, sorry about that. Sorry. Network's not going to be happy yeah. about that one. God. Man, they've been honest. Uh, yeah. We talked to Goddamn network. <laughs> I want to do my job. <laughs> Respect the art. Right. Um, but if, if you guys didn't get this from the, the last, uh, the preview for next week's episode, there's only two episodes left. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. Well, <laughs> Predictions, like I said, watch out. I think Ray's going to go down <laughs> soon here. Um, but folks, just please accept the fact that this isn't nearly as good as the first season. Yeah. And just let yourself enjoy these final two episodes yeah, for what they are. It's not bad. Yeah, it's, it's, it's still, still, a it's still pretty good television. There's going to be a lot of loose ends that are going to come together in a highly entertaining fashion. We're going to be like, whoa, that was sweet. Right. There's others won't, and it's going to be kind of disappointing, but just be along. It's going to be a wild ride. It's going to be fun, all right? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. Um, positive. Positive energy, open minds. Positive vibes. Come on. Positive vibes. And hey, I think uh, Paul Woodrow would appreciate this. Clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. The left and reference for you guys leave you on that. I'm Brady Becker. I'm Martin Walker. This is true enough. Take it easy.